Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning into the Deal Farm Podcast, where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode of The Deal Farm, Kevin and I talk with Dan Haberkost out of Colorado Springs, who at the ripe old age of 27 has built an amazing land and construction business that operates in four different states. Stay tuned in to learn the tricks of the trade. Ken, how's it going today? Man, I couldn't be better. Man, it's almost lunchtime, and I'm telling you, I'm kind of hungry today. I, I think I can be doing better once I get a little lunch today. Yeah. No, I'm, t- I'm taking it easy on the foods because I got a fall break coming up, a little beach trip going. I got to drop a couple more poundages. Nice. You guys are going to go to the beach. Now, before you go to the beach, though, aren't you? You got, you got a camping trip coming up. We got a camp actually this weekend, Labor Day. I got a camping trip coming up. Yeah, man. It's funny we're not uh, we're not going that far though we're going about thirty minutes down the road like Alatoona. What's well, nice, you know, when you have a, a nice place that you can go camping where you feel like you're completely far away but you're really still close. Yeah, well, and I think I told you, you know, we've we've got a, a camper like a trailer we haul around and uh, we can. It's actually pretty. It's really kind of like glamping. It's a really nice. I mean, we, it's a great way to camp in a trailer. And so we've been all over North Georgia. We've been all the state parks and whatnot, but. Uh, this I think this weekend's going to be the coolest space we've had to date because it's literally lakefront, That's like so nice. right on the lake, open big water. I've never had that before, so we're pretty stoked about it. I mean, you're actually going to pull the camper right up and you've got shoreline right there for your campsite. If I backed it up a little too far, I'm in the water. <laughs> you're houseboating Just, at that point. <laughs> and then it becomes a boat. It's no longer a camper. Yeah. That, I'm not that. sure if it would float or not. I don't think it would. We have been now we didn't grow up camping. Like, I mean, that was not a family activity that we grew up. With. No, so I started, I started backpacking, I think high school, college, you know, camping out, you know, getting a tent and that sort of thing. And yeah, I've always loved great family activity. I've done it for, I want to say 20, more than 20 years, uh, but mostly tent camping. I mean, I've done mostly done tent camping or backpacking, uh, but you, you've got the whole camper going on, which is nice. Yeah. We've never been a big tent camping. I think we tried it once and we're like, eh. That wasn't comfortable. <laughs> we like the comfort. We like the AC and the big squishy bed. And it's, well, that's it a, is. It's more glamping. You want to be able to sleep. Yeah. Especially if you're doing multiple nights. You know, it's one thing to tent camp one night and come back. Mm-hmm. If you're doing three or four nights, like you, by the end of that trip, you're not too, you're like, you're kind of miserable. You're yeah, well, I'm the, I'm the same way. Like if you've got a tent and like three kids, you're going to go at least two nights. There's so much work getting it set up and get everything yeah. set up. It's like, all your time is spent with setup and takedowns. So you might as well at least go for a couple nights if you yeah. like. Well, we kind of feel the same way with the, the trailer too, though. By the time you load it up, you pack it up, you packed your firewood and your chairs. And then you even when you get to the campsite, you know, there's a lot to everybody sort of knows what to do for the first 30 minutes. Like every springs into action, you know, you're leveling it and you're doing this and that. And so we always go for more than one night. One night's too much trouble. Well, you know, and it's funny you say that because I, and it just reminded me that years and years and years ago, uh, you know, a guy that was a mentor in my life, Bob Roland, you know, Bob, he yeah. talked about how camping was such a great family building, not just a family, activity, but a family building activity, because of what you just said, because everybody has responsibilities. Everybody's pitching in, you know, one person's making the fire another person's yeah. up and in camp set up. And it's just a great, not just memories, but everyone has a responsibility. So you really are doing family building in that. For sure. And you're all squeezed into a pretty tight space. You're sitting around campfires. 
I mean, for the most part, you know, you're detached. You're not looking at a bunch of screens. You're yeah. uh, reconnecting you're with memories. nature. You're making, it's really what it is. I, that's the yeah. way I look at it. It's like, I'm just cramming memories into their heads when I, when yeah. we do stuff like this. We, we started camping and doing some backpack, mostly camping, you know, tent camping. We graduated to actually houseboats. Like we would do a houseboat trip each year, with cool. the kids, which was camping. It's camping on the water, right? You yeah. found a little cove that we'd go to talk about big water all around you and then have a ski boat, which is, but you're, you're making memories. Uh, never had any issues with covered bridges though. Talk, talk about some. <laughs> Here's the deal. If you've got a camper that you're hauling around, you're lugging around on any regular basis, you're going to have mishaps. Like it's just going to happen. Ask anybody that's got a trailer that's done it for more than a year or so. They've backed into something. They've run over something. Um, they've taken it on a covered bridge that wasn't tall enough for their camper. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no. So this, uh, the story you're alluding to is actually very funny. This was about two years ago. We were in Athens for a game and we went out to the Watson mill as a camp campground, just East of Atlanta, of Athens. Go dogs. And, um, and it was late. Like we're pulling in, it's dusk. Like there, yep. no, there's no ranger in the ranger station. We don't know where the campsite is. And all there is is a covered bridge to get to where the campsites are. Yep. And so I'm driving, it's dusk, you know, I'm kind of squinting. I'm looking at this covered bridge. Like I can't clear this covered, this eight, like very nice historic covered bridge. I'm not going to fit on this. Boom. Out of nowhere. <laughs> they've got like these telephone poles that sort of outline the height of the, of the covered bridge, you know, a yeah. hundred feet in front of the covered bridge that I didn't see. So you don't destroy the historic landmark. Yes. It destroys you. Instead. instead, you get to hit this, yeah, this sort of measuring post and just freaking destroyed it. This like this picture of horizontal like phone pole that I that just nails my uh my AC unit sitting on top of the of the camper. And I look out the out the rear view mirror and I can see it rolling down the side of the road. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> and of course the only, the only thing the kids remember from that trip, daddy cussed. That's what we they remember. It. And daddy cussed. That's they don't what remember, they, that's they don't what remember they the can over shearing the roof off of the camper. They yeah. just remember daddy swore. They love to still bring that up. Oh yeah, remember when you hit it and then remember what you said? <laughs> remember what you said remember what you said came out of your mouth that's, that's oh it was so funny yeah <laughs> and but what was so what was even crazier about that setup is that there's no there's no map there's no directions on how to get to the campsite but you we can the campsite's on the other side of the covered bridge We're like well how the heck do we get to the other side of the covered bridge yeah. luckily there was um an off-duty park ranger who was happened to be camping there and she's like oh no you got to go back on the main road and it's a 20 minute drive to come in another entrance to access something that was literally a hundred yards away from us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you had to go down river to the next bridge. Now, well, did she ask <laughs> yeah. you to reattach the telephone pole? Was there, hey, can, Nobody can you ask me anything? And I took, I was like, peace out, everybody. Let's go. <laughs> Quick, get in the car. Go, go, go. You know, the memories you make with kids are, are always the tragedies, right? Always the, oh, our lives are about to die. Sort of. That's the memories. It's not the sunsets over, you know, golden skies. But so it's the stuff that they bring up. Are the times like where you dropped an f bomb, and that's what the only thing they remember. oh, that's what they're gonna remember. That's yeah. what they remember. Yeah, yeah. So one of the one of the times, last times uh, we had all the kids, we went uh, houseboating, and uh, it was beautiful. It just made me think with the sunset. So we um, we had a beautiful day. We've been water skiing all day. We've got a private cove just to ourselves. It's absolutely gorgeous. Got the 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 houseboat kind of moored right in the middle of this cove, 
And so we go up top, we've grilled burgers, right? And so we're sitting on top, enjoying the sunset, private, just absolutely gorgeous. Watch the sunset. And we had forgotten someone had left the screen door open downstairs with a light on. And so we go back down into the night, you know, and just had this wonderful time go. And there are literally 105 million bugs inside the the house where we're supposed to sleep that night just everywhere like like they had seen the light inside and all come inside like the ceiling in the houseboat is absolutely covered right above where the girls were supposed to sleep right where their bed was inside and they're freaking out it's like it's okay it's okay no no it's okay we bought we brought bug spray it's okay we'll just we're just gonna kill them and so i end up standing on top of their bed and just start using this raid to kill, and I'm just looking up at the ceiling, just spraying, 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 and they're just they're just dying in droves. It's just like coming down like in sheets of bugs. And I'm thinking, this is great. We're getting rid of them. They're all gone. And my daughter Gracie just lets out. She left. She just it overwhelmed. She walked out, couldn't stand it. She came back in, just lets out this shriek. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm getting them all. They're all dead. Don't worry. They're all. And I look down. And her bed is just completely covered and in bugs because they were all dying and just like falling right onto her Gosh. bed. And yeah, we still talk about that. Yeah, that's, that's what they they don't remember like the twenty really yeah. good camping trips. Remember the time Dad really screwed yeah. up and a million bugs on my bed. <laughs> it's like we just had a great moment upstairs. Burgers yeah, and sunrise, no, sun they've already and, forgotten yeah, that great moment. All those bugs. That's yeah, those are the memories. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I, I would love to go camping uh, out. I've never. No, that's not true. I've done camping out in California up in the mountains there. And I've done a bunch of hiking, you know, through the Rockies, but it'd be great to go out West and do camping out there. You've got a camper, man. You really could go do serious road trip. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't been super motivated to take it far. I mean, I think we've been to like Alabama and Tennessee, but even Florida, like I don't really want to drag it down there. It's one, it's expensive. Like the gas money that exists to haul it around. Holy moly. Well, if and you get into Wyoming, I got a spot you could park it. I'm just yeah, we do have uh we do have some land in Wyoming we could we park it at. Not a lot going on on it, but that's all. Well, speaking of uh, out west, you know the guest today is actually uh, based in Colorado Springs. That's right, and his specialty is land. Land, right? yeah. We need to it's pick his brain about camp our, on, I'm not sure. But he, we I'm not sure about the camping. I don't, we didn't really get into camping discussions with him, but uh, I am always thoroughly intrigued by these guys who just acquire land and they flip mm-hmm. land and there i feel like there's more and more of them out there and it's always my antenna just goes up it's like how are you doing this is so cool and it's you're not having any construction crews you're mad you're not mad at no property management no tenants it's just so clean. easy and clean yeah. right yeah that's a good word for it but i thoroughly enjoyed our conversation with dan habercost and uh, i think we should share this conversation with our audience what do you think I think so. Yeah. He's a young guy who's just, you know, launched into this. And I think we got a great time with him. I love the fact that he's 27 and all that he's accomplished yeah. in just a few short years post-college. It's pretty incredible, actually. What a tease. What a tease. Let's bring him in. All right. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Ken, Kevin, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. So you are calling from Colorado today, right? Yep. Colorado Springs. Very nice. Snow in the mountains today? <laughs> no, no. In uh, about a, the next month, the top of Pikes Peak will get some snow up at 14,000 feet, I'm sure. That's amazing. You never That's know. Crazy. You know, they can have snow year round. I, we just flew out to California. And I know, Ken, do you have a window seat? There was snow all over the mountains when we flew out to California. It was beautiful. Over the Rockies. Well, um, it was 
Isn't it Utah that really got pummeled this year? Because we had some franchisees in Salt Lake City, and they were they were anticipating like the ski slopes being open through June. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, Which there were just... mountains in California open until August. Crazy. That's nuts. Absolutely. That's a, yeah. well, I mean, California needed the water though, so nobody. I, I don't think anybody's complaining. Agreed. So now, are you originally from Colorado Springs? No, I grew up in Ohio. I grew up in a, in a cornfield in Ohio, I like to say. Wow. Oh, wow. That's a big change going from Ohio to the, the mountains of Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can talk about that, but had to get out of there. Nothing was really going on. Nothing had changed in 100 years. It was just rural Ohio. What part of Ohio was it? So it's about 50 minutes southwest of Cleveland, uh, Valley City, Medina, Litchfield, that area, if anyone okay. knows where that is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. So you a Buckeyes fan? I love playing sports. I can't sit still to watch them, though. <laughs> good, yeah. good. It's a good answer. Yeah. We, we'd have hung up on you right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, so I guess give us the story. You're you're a young dude. You're crushing it in the land space, and we'll get into that in a minute. I guess I'd love to kind of hear your story. How did you, you know, end up in Colorado Springs and and then find yourself into this land acquisition business? Sure. So really, this goes back to when I was a teenager. I I had to start working early uh, if I wanted a car, you know, a cell phone, anything. I had to go buy it myself. And so by the time I was 16, I was managing a farm in Medina, Ohio. And that owner of that farm, he he, he would go to Aruba for most of the year. And in hindsight, he was getting a great deal because he was out in Aruba and he had a kid managing his stuff. And I also managed some of his rental properties. So when he was gone, I had to take the calls and deal with maintenance and any sort of problems and continue to manage the farm. And so did that through high school, you know, did some small side businesses, landscaping in the in the summer, all, all kinds of things just to pay for college. And then in college, worked full time through college, and that was not fun. So I had absolutely no fun in college. Uh, oh, around where'd you, where'd you go to school? Uh, so I started a community college because again I was paying for it. So try C, and then I ended up finishing my degree at Franklin University because they were kind of met for people who are working along with school. Gotcha. Um, cool. Yeah. So twenty years old, twenty one. I'm approaching the end of, of my degree. And I'm thinking, okay, haven't gotten to have a lot of fun as a teenager in college here, but I know how to run businesses. I know how to manage people, how to sell things. How do I take this and apply it to some sort of investing or business so that I can accelerate, you know, my financial position as I, you know, leave school and, and go out into the real world. And, you know, I, I started reading different books about investing equities and like everybody else, it was when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it was like light bulb went off, right? Real estate it is. And so again, I was, I was working full time. So I had a middle-class income. So I bought a, a duplex as a house hack when I was 21. And that was wow. in Parma, Ohio, for anyone who knows where that is. That's just outside of Cleveland. Yes. Yes. Yep. One of the first metros. Yep. yep. On yep. State, State Road. And you bought it. You bought it. You closed on it. You took ownership yep. of it. Yep. Yep. So moved into that. And shortly thereafter, I went to visit my brother in Colorado Springs. His wife's from here. So that's why he was out here. And I saw the mountains. I saw it, 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 it was sunny here. It was sunny all the time. And anyone who's spent any time in Northeast Ohio knows you go months without seeing the sun. And so I just, I immediately loved it out here. I love the mountains, lifestyle, just everything. And so I went home, quit my job and drove across the country, gave the duplex to a property manager and decided I'm going to go to Colorado and build a business and climb all the mountains. So at that point I was 22 and, uh, so I still had the duplex back home or back in Ohio, and I, I bought another single family out here and house hacked it, right? So I wanted to go duplex again, but at that point, I forget the uh, nuances of this, but I had to have like 15 or 20% down to do another duplex house hack. So I went single family and I found just a, a 4-3 that was split level 70s, 
lived in the master, rented out the other two upstairs bedrooms and rented out the downstairs separately. And around that time, I realized, hmm, the low and no money down stuff is great for a house hacker too. But if I want to accrue a substantial portfolio of real estate, I need to figure out how to make money. And a lot of it couldn't keep working for someone. So that's about the time that at the local real estate group out here, which I actually host now, I met the uh, older friend I was telling you about who introduced me to the land and development space. And I would drive an hour south every weekend to Pueblo West, Colorado, for anyone who knows where that is. Mm -hmm. And I'd learn from him. That's where he lived. He was building spec houses at the time. And you know, I'd walk through the houses. I'd help him get them marketed. I'd help him find new lots. That's where I started actually participating a little bit. And those were some of my first deals where I would assign a lot to him for a thousand or, you know, I, I, I'd help him find it. I wouldn't take anything. And you give me a small portion of the profit when we sold the spec house, you know, stuff like that. And that is ultimately where front range land came from. So fast forward to today and front range land is my active business. And quite simply, it's just a giant marketing funnel going direct to seller for land. And I close all of it. I haven't done assignments in a while. Um, and we just flip a lot of it. But then some lots uh, will put duplexes or single family on new construction. And sometimes I'll sell lots on, on seller financing. So that's the, the active business that I think of in this bucket over here. And that's continually feeding the passive or the, the investing or acquisition of more rental properties. So the passive feeds the active and then, or excuse me, active feeds the passive and then the passive helps shelter the active. So that's where I'm at today. 27, sure, I'm young, but I, I feel like I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> We kind of have, right? You bought your first one basically in college, right? I mean, so you guys yeah. get seven years under your belt. I mean, that's a pretty good track record already of, of success. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've done hundreds of deals at, at this point. And it's it's really a simple system. We can dive into that if you want, but I figured I'd pause there for a minute after talking for a while, see if you guys wanted to dive into any anything I hit on there. Well, I'm curious during the seven years, has your primary focus then just been Colorado or do you expand beyond that? So it started as Colorado and I got a giant kick in the teeth at the beginning of last year. So that market I told you about Pueblo West uh, is where I was doing a lot of business and without any warning, they shut down all new water taps Oh wow. overnight. No warning. We knew they were getting lower on water. We expected the water tap costs to go up. I'm flying home from Florida when I'm uh January 2022, I land, get service, and I just have all these texts and something is horribly wrong. They shut down all new water taps without saying, hey, yeah, they'll be open in a few months. They didn't tell us anything. And so in that moment, I thought, oh, shoot, all this land I own there might be worthless. Most of my business is there. I might be screwed. And so that prompted me to go and get into other markets. Uh, so Florida, North Carolina, and New Mexico as well. So what did you do? So <laughs> I panicked initially, uh, but then over the course of the coming months, so so actually first thing I did is I sent out mailers to other markets. I said, all right, I, I, I can sit here and cry about it or I can deal with it. So sent out a bunch of mail to Florida. And then thankfully over the course of the coming months, they, it became clear they were going to open it back up, but at a higher cost and then at limit, with a limited supply of taps. So they ended up allocating 400 more taps last year, 400 more this year and then 100 or 200 next year. So it's almost out, and we are building frantically down there to get uh, what we can out of the market before it's it's dry. Crazy. Yeah. How many lots were you sitting on when that happened? I think I had seven or eight, may yeah. maybe nine. <laughs> I don't remember wow. Exactly. Decent it, amount, yeah. And are, do you have private money on any of these lots, or what does that look like? 
So uh, this is something I'm working on. I need to work harder on because I have way too much of my own cash in the business. So at the time, I had a lot of my own cash, mostly my own cash and a few private investors. Now I have more private investors, but still I have uh, kept too much of my own cash in the business. So working on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that gets that can get stressful, too, though, if you got a bunch of private capital on there and you can't build and they're like, hey, when am I going to get my money back? And yeah, that's tricky. And that may, might actually be a blessing to get some of your cash in there, too, rather than dealing with angry investors. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So what did that look like for you? Um, one, generating leads in, in Pueblo. And then you said uh, when you went into the other markets, you went with direct mail. So is that your primary lead strategy? Yes. So direct mail is where we get most of our deals, but we also do some cold calling. So one excellent source of deals is, so I use Pebble as the CRM and it mails directly out of Pebble. And it'll tell you, double verifies all of the addresses. And so there's always a portion that are failed mailers. Cold calling those is well worth it because nobody is getting mail to those people. Mm. Uh, so we do get deals cold calling as well. Just the failed mailers though. So it's not like you're hitting a massive list. Mm, no, we, we do some general lists in markets where we really, really want to, you know, just pound every owner. And so that when they are ready to sell, they sell to us. Yep. Uh, but it's a much smaller portion of what we're doing. I'm sending about 10,000 mailers a month. And my, uh, I only have one acquisition person doing cold calling and she has about a hundred ish conversations with sellers a week, like actual conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so talk about your strategy for targeting. You'd mentioned, you know, you, you went into Florida specifically in North Carolina, I think you said New Mexico, obviously those are big States. Those are big areas. Are, are you honing in on specific types a lot? Like what is your search criteria look like? Mm, I'm glad you asked this. So one uh, differentiation I want to make for people out there who aren't in land, who don't know anything about it. A lot of the people that have done land, just as far as the simple buying and selling over, you know, recent decades who talk about it, of course, is in books, they're focused on rural, raw, recreational land, that sort of thing. And I haven't touched that at all. Hmm. I learned about land from the context of putting new construction homes on it. So everything that I'm targeting is, you know, infill. And the implication of that term is that all the horizontal work is done, right? You can already buy right, go put you know a single family house or an apartment or whatever the zoning might allow on that lot, the water, sewer, power, gas, it's all right there. It's not a huge tract of raw land. So it's important to emphasize that because on these lots that I build on, it takes me three to four weeks to get a permit. <laughs> you know, if you're for example, east of Colorado Springs, you have all this raw land and there's big developers taking it, doing all the work to bring in the utilities, entitlements, roads, et cetera. And that takes years and years just to get to the point of building, right? Mm -hmm. So I focus on infill lots. So important distinction there. Now, from there, last year, especially, you know, a year ago right now, nobody knew how hard the market was going to get hit by these interest rate hikes. And so given that, I thought, all right, I'd already expanded into the Southeast a bit, but I wanted to double down because that's where the most people, the most money is going. And it's also still affordable. So a lot of these markets I'm in, in North Carolina, Florida, you know, a, a new construction, single family home can be bought in the twos or threes. That <laughs> is not the case out here in Colorado. I don't know about Georgia, but that's still cheap for most of the country. Uh, so I felt confident that even if the market got hit hard, 
all right, the boomers, they're still going to go down from the Northeast, from New England, from all the cold Midwest states. They're going to retire. They have cash. They can afford a three, dollars $400,000 house. And these lots that I'm buying and selling are the starting point for those houses, right? Sure. So I felt good about going down there. And then as far as specific markets, I wish I had more quantitative data to share with you as far as here's the here's the buy box or the you know the d- due diligence for markets but it's always qualitative factors that tend to push us to places so for example when we were looking into north carolina there's lots of markets with tons of solds you know with tons of infill lots but there was one in particular where we talked to a couple agents when we were doing our due diligence and we mentioned a lot that was off market and they go oh no you can't buy that that's not on the market they had no idea about direct to seller mail. They, I don't think they knew how to use a computer. They didn't know <laughs> anything about real estate investing. And so on just to, to contrast that, you talk to people in a lot of agents in a lot of markets in Florida, they all know about assignments and what what you know land investors are doing. And so on the flip side, that North Carolina market where I saw that, Okay, there's a huge amount of demand because more land was selling in you know the last 30, 60, 90 days than had come on the market. Yet there didn't seem to be competent people on the business side of things fulfilling that demand. I thought, all right, here's an opportunity. And that has been an awesome market. Uh, and you can still make market money in the uh, competitive markets, but it's much harder. It takes a lot more mail right. and you've got to be good. Uh, so unfortunately, I know that was a very long-winded and non-specific answer to your question. So- <laughs> To try and summarize, uh, I go to parts of the country that are growing. I look for markets where there is more land sell. Like I'll go 90 days on Zillow or six months on Zillow. I'll see how many sold and then how many came on the market. And I like to see places where it's at least a one-to-one, if not more selling than's coming on the market. And ideally, uh, it's a place where there's lots of people who bought land you know, decades ago and they don't live there. Because that tells me a lot of times... You know, it's a sunk cost in their mind, or they might have passed, and, and we can go get deals via probate or back taxes or something like that. Uh, so those are the factors I look for. But then on top of all that, I also have excellent realtors in both markets who will tip me off as far as, oh, hey, this place is starting to grow, or you know, go look over here. Right. So you mentioned filters a little bit. So what are you filtering on typically when you when you find those markets that you like? Yeah. So uh, assuming we've identified a market, what data mm-hmm. do I pull? Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah what you what data? So you I start on? with. Out of state, out of county, 10 plus years owned, generally okay. speaking. Yep. And because it works, right? Those are totally. the people who bought a long time ago. They probably intended to move there. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And you'd be amazed. You know, we got a deal in Cape Coral a couple of weeks ago. And I think, I forget what the lady was. She was, I think, somewhere up in the north, northeast. And uh, we talked to her. We make an offer. She goes, no, nah, no. She calls some realtors, which we didn't know this at the time. But she disappears, calls some realtors, comes back and just goes, eh. I don't want to deal with the realtors are selling on market. I know what it's worth, but I'll sell it to you. And so that is our demographic. It's very, very rarely distressed. It's almost always, uh, you know, middle class to wealthy and apathetic yeah. as opposed to distressed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause most, you know, somebody that's distressed and sort of in that uh, lower tier demographic, they probably don't own land out of state, right? Most exactly. people are going to own land with intention of building probably a little bit more sophisticated. And for mm-hmm. them, it's just better to smash the easy button and not deal with it. Yep. Yep. And so to that to that effect, what are you negotiating? Like what price point or what ARV are you trying to land at with land? Yeah. So I have a SOP sheet for my acquisition people, but uh, approximately in these really hot Florida markets where when we list something, it sells, 
you know, in within the first 15 to 30 days, uh, I'll do 50 to 55 cents on the dollar. And then in the North Carolina markets where there's a lot more variables, there's more things that can go. It's not as, it's not quite as simple down there. We're more in the 40 ish cents on the dollar. Uh, they haven't done a ton of business in New Mexico. That was just because I had a position person that was from there. He knew everyone there. So we've gotten some deals there. We still have a few. Uh, and then lately in Colorado, I've been focused on that uh, Pueblo West market. We're just building on everything we get there. And we got a few one-off deals here and there. But in Colorado, if you're going to buy in the expensive mountain towns, I highly recommend uh, being pretty low on your, your price because a lot of these take longer. Like we got an awesome lot in Buena Vista. But all the lots are two to three hundred grand. It's not as quick and easy to sell as a forty thousand dollar Florida lot, and so that sort of thing we try and get really solid margins on. Yeah, and, and you know, we so we acquire land here. We build on land. We've got a custom construction company. We don't buy a ton of it, but I will say that at least you know around Atlanta, when I'm looking at a land deal or a lot deal, let's say a lot of times is there's a lot of due diligence that needs to go into it to make sure that you're not missing something. You know, if you're in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It was built 30 years ago and there just happens to be a lot there. My, you know, my first instinct is, well, there's a reason that that builder didn't build on that lot. So what am I missing? And so what does that DD look like for you when you get something under contract? Yeah. So this varies from place to place dramatically. The more markets I do business in, it's crazy how much just norms and, you know, laws vary around the country. And so, you know, we have our due diligence sheet. But then we also have a market-specific due diligence sheet, which highlights all of the weird subtleties of different places. And so if you're going somewhere new, what I have my acquisitions people do, let's say we're going into a new market, they're getting their first leads. I say, look, we, we haven't done business here, so we've got to find a local expert and figure out what is the thing here we might miss. And so an easy example would be in Pueblo West, where I've been building, you do a soils test if you need a septic tank, but it's just a spectrum of cost. You know, it might be, gosh, I haven't done a septic one down there. I've been doing all the sewer lots, but it might be 15 grand for the septic tank. It might be 25, depending on the soil. In the market summit in North Carolina, there is so much land that it's more of a dichotomy. Not literally, you can always solve the problem with money, but it's a middle-class area and there's enough lots available that it's basically in effect a pass or fail. And so there's a lot of, in effect, worthless lots there. And if coming from what I think, the norm is in Pueblo West. If I didn't know that going into North Carolina, I could get myself in trouble. And so the way that you find this out, go on Zillow or if you're licensed, go look on the MLS. Who's selling all the land? Usually there's a few people whose names pop up over and over again and call them, talk to them. And I always ask, you know, pretending I'm talking to you, Ken, what am I missing here? And I'll, I'll cite a few of the differences in different markets I've been in. Is there anything like that? in your market that might trip me up or cause me to buy a piece of land that ends up being worthless or worth a lot less than I think. And then usually that gets them thinking because this is stuff that to them is just normal. And so you really got to get them thinking because something like, who knows, like the perk test in North Carolina, right. they might not think to mention because they think everyone knows that. And so that's how we've been able to go to new places and figure these things out without learning the hard way. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think for a lot of folks listening to this, understanding that you have to know what you're buying before you buy it, especially if you're going mm -hmm. into a new market is super important because it, it's like you said, it's yeah. easy to get stuck with a bad lot if you're not careful. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, hey, so you mentioned that you're building on a lot of these lots as well. I'm just curious, uh, you're, so you're going out, you're getting construction loans and you're hiring builders in those markets. And then 
carrying those suckers and putting them in the market. How many like construction projects do you have going on at any given point in time? So I just switched contractors. I had one that had been good and then he really fell apart in the last year. Finally got the last couple of projects off my books with him. And so with the new one, we have four duplexes. We should be breaking ground on here very soon in one single family house. Nice. So, yep. and just curious, what uh, what sort of arrangement do you have with the builder? If you're giving them some amount of volume, is it mm -hmm. like a cost plus or what do you typically negotiate? No, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked this. So I have done this different ways and I should have, I should have listened to uh, my older friend who taught me how to build and just stuck with what he taught me. So the first arrangement that he showed me, he goes, look, you want to have aligned incentives. And this is such a valuable lesson in any business arrangement. Right? Humans are simple. We are driven by incentives. And so you got to make sure your incentives are aligned. And so the way I learned to do this is just some sort of profit split. Mm -hmm. And I got away from that. I was paying my contractor just a fee along with, I know he was marking up some of the labor and I'm that led to problems. And so with the new guy here, 50-50, uh, we're just splitting the profit 50-50. We're putting everything in at cost. He's building this thing. I'm getting the land. You know, I'm dealing with getting the engineering and the, the plans done. And we're just splitting it at the end. Wow. That's great. I mean, if it's if there's a deep enough discount on the land and he builds at a good cost, there should be plenty of upside for both of you. I, I love that, actually. I think that's a great call. Yeah. And, and I, I won't vary from that again. Uh, and with him, it was funny. I, I met him about a year ago and he always told me, man, the build is so easy. I just, I don't know how to get the land. And I'm just over here. I'm like, man, I can get land all day long. Uh, but building is a pain in my butt. So that works out well. We're both good at what the other is not. Well, it's not easy to find a good contractor, like you said, or a good a builder and then working out the, the details where they're finishing fast and on time. But you're hundred percent mm -hmm. right. Making sure your interests are aligned or it's absolutely the way to go in this yep. scenario. So, so good for you. Um, so you mentioned early on this whole idea of, you know, your active income versus your passive wealth building. Let's talk about mm -hmm. that for a second. So you've, you've sort of carved out a great niche business model for yourself. You're flipping land in different markets, you're building and you're, so you're creating some nice income for yourself. What does the other side of your business look like? Yeah. And this is where I've really fallen short this year. And I'm working on correcting where I said I have too much of my own cash in the active business. Well, I keep just recycling it. And because I haven't done as good of a job raising money as I'd like. And so I have not bought any buy and holds this year. And I'm working on correcting that right now. So I have 13 tenants among six properties as of now. Uh, but it's that's marginal. I need to go. So to answer your question, more specifically, I have some of the bigger lots with a lot of my capital under contract here. Ideally, I, I actually, from my trip I just got back from, I, I set some clear lead measures to be hitting as far as making offers to get some buy and holds under contract here and ideally pick up a fourplex or two before the end of the year. And you're targeting uh, Colorado specifically or oh, Pueblo? Or... Yes. So this, this has been fun or interesting to watch. And this is there's a lesson I can pull out of this story. So coming here from Ohio, I don't have any preconceived notions about any part of Colorado other than it's beautiful. And everyone kind of hates on Pueblo. I don't know if you guys have been here. I've, heard, I've that. heard that before that it's going to people consider it sort of the armpit. I don't know why I've never been there before, but. Well, you know, there I-25 goes right to Mexico and there's a cartel presence in the east side of Pueblo, but Pueblo West is a whole separate subdivision that was done in the seventies by the same guy who did like Havasu. If you guys are familiar with Havasu. Interesting. Yeah. McCulloch, he did it in the seventies and he made the mistake of attaching the name Pueblo to it. Cause at that time, Pueblo was still at a thriving industrial town. It's based around a steel mill 
And it yeah. reminds me of Toledo or Cleveland or a lot of the crappy Midwest cities that have really gotten run down as that industry has died. We've kind of moved on. Um, but anyways, and so it's ignored by people from Colorado. And so, you know, there are apartments going up all over Denver, Castle Rock, Colorado Springs, and there is nothing. I mean, almost nothing in Pueblo, yet rents are high uh, and there's very little solid rental inventory. A lot of the rentals down there are slums. I mean, it's terrible. If you have a nice rental, it's hard to even get comps. So point being, there is massive demand and I'm focusing on Pueblo because there are still nice parts of town and being such a lack of nice rental inventory, if you have a nice product, you can absolutely get good tenants. So uh, sent some marketing pieces out down there, going to make offers even on stuff on market. Um, and then potentially we'll see if we can get a couple more builds going before the water taps run out. I'd love to just keep a couple of the Pueblo West sure. duplexes. Wow. Interesting. And so mm -hmm. for you, you're so you're sourcing those off market as well. Just curious what that, what does that acquisition process look like? You'd mentioned that you had a lead manager. Yes. So I have two acquisition managers and uh, that's all they do all day is they take all the inbound calls and they make some, or the one makes a bunch of outbound calls and follows up, manages the CRM, makes offers, you know, closes the deals, takes them to close. That's all they do. And I just kind of oversee that, pull the data, send the mail, that sort of thing. Uh, and then the disposition side, speaking to land, is uh, all, all uh, realtors. Gotcha. Yeah, they're locally. So are you walking any of these properties, at least the local ones? Or are you trying to do it all virtually? Is there any in-person appointments? Just, just curious. Yeah. So as I'm working to get some uh, buy and holds here, absolutely. Those ones I would go down or have so, you know, somebody go look at them in person. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, good for you though, for trying to find balance, you know, and creating a business, creating the income for yourself while mm -hmm. at the same time, making sure that you're building wealth through, through rentals. I mean, that, that's key. Sure. There's been many years where I've, you know, flipped hundred houses in the year and then never kept one for myself. And like, yeah. you're looking back, especially in 12, 13, 14, it's like, why the heck didn't I hold a few more of these suckers? And just, I'm just, I got so caught up in the active business that sometimes you forget the passive business. Yep. And then your tax bill is terrible too. So it's important. <laughs> That's true. That's the other thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need some write-offs. Yep. Some depreciation yep. for sure. I'm curious with your acquisition managers, how, how do you structure that? People, you know, do different things. Are, are you using international VAs? Is that somebody inbound? How do you compensate them? How, how have you structured that for, for your acquisition folks? Yeah. Uh, they're local well, in the U S one's in Los Angeles. One is in Denver. Uh, and then uh, base salary plus uh, commission, small base salary plus a substantial commission. Yeah. So they're participating when they get something under contract, which makes that yep. makes a ton of sense too. Yeah. Keep incentives. it incentivized. That's right. It's yes. all about the incentives. Yep. I love it. Well, I'm sure there's somebody listening to this podcast right now who's, you know, maybe they're in their 20s or 30s and they're thinking, man, he's 27. He's built this great business. I would sure love to to jump into a business like this. What sort of advice do you give somebody, especially somebody that's even in a W2, nine to five type job right now? They want to transition into the, what advice would you give them? Pick one thing and stick to it. Well, okay, pick one thing and make sure it's aligned with what you're trying to accomplish. You need to be really clear on what you want. Do you just want to make a hundred grand or do you want to make a hundred million dollars, right? You know, what's your goal? And once you're clear on what you're trying to accomplish, then pick something that aligns, stick with it till you're better at it than everyone else. Mm -hmm. and, and do you recommend even working on something like this while working a full-time job? What do you think about, um, making sort of that transition of I can do this on the side and eventually make it a full-time gig? Or are you more sort of take the tack? Now, if you're going to do it, be all in hundred percent. Where do you fall on that? So, 
Yeah, I'm definitely more the second personality, the jump off the cliff sort, but not everyone is, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so uh, you can absolutely start, if we're just speaking to specifically land, buying and selling a land, you can do that a few hours a day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I guess you don't have to send 10,000 mailers, you send 3,000 mailers, right? And take calls in the evenings, potentially. Yeah. But um, but I'm with, I actually probably am more the second personality as well. Like if you're going to do yeah. it, man, just do it. Be all in. 100% of your focus, time, effort, and it, and it pays off so much faster. Yeah. And something too, in hindsight, I'm realizing any business, even outside, if we're just speaking to active income, right? Just finding a way to scale your income, you can go make millions of dollars in anything, really. Uh, it's just, you can't do it in everything. And so many people make that mistake. And I wasted a few years where I was trying to dabble in other things and didn't get a lot of traction myself. And so, you know, that would be the advice is just pick one thing and go all in on it. Yeah, I like that. So you have a podcast yourself. You have a website. Where can people go if they want to learn a little bit more about you, listen to some of your content? Yeah, danhabercost.com or on social. And then the big picture blueprint. We talk all things land, real estate, and business in general. Love it. Very big picture blueprint. That's big picture blueprint podcast specifically, right? Awesome. Yep. Well, Dan, this was super good, man. I really appreciate the insights on uh, on investing in land and flipping and building wealth, all that good stuff, man. Really enjoyed our time together. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ken. Kevin. All right, take care. Hey, next time we're out in Colorado, we'll come visit. There you go. Yeah, that'd be fun. Checking out Pueblo. Right. I want to go to the armpit. <laughs> we're going to get a bunch of hate mail from like a, a bunch of Pueblo residents. Just a disclaimer, I'm sure Pueblo is a very nice place. Can't wait to visit. Yeah. Got a nice friends. <laughs> All right. Take care, Dan. Thanks. See ya. Was that good or what, Kevin? Man, I really enjoyed our time with him. Uh, and Talk about a young guy who's just crushing it right out of the gate. I mean, buying duplexes in college and then all of a sudden, you know, he's flipping land deals with his own money and he's got deals in four states. I mean, at the age of 27, that, this kid's crushing it. Well, yeah, and he's had, he's faced some adversity, right? He got stuck with some land and didn't get scared off, right? He pulled yeah. up his pants, worked his way through it, and uh, he's wiser for it. Man, I, I, you know, that's a good point, Kevin. I actually love the fact that he got stung. You know, they're not giving out water taps. He's sitting on all these lots. You know, a lot of people would be like, man, I just got screwed. I can't do this anymore. Let me go back and get a job. Yep. And he was like, well, guess I better find somebody else somewhere else to start buying land. And so he immediately starts marketing somewhere else. Like, let's <laughs> Let's double down. This thing works, even though I just yep. got stung. Yeah, pivoted into multiple states. Uh, I mean, talk about just grit, absolute grit. Didn't get discouraged at all. Totally. Well, and even you heard him talk about his builder. Like he had a, you know, he, I, and this is going to happen, man. This is, it was real estate investing 101. Like you have a bad experience, you move on to the next guy. And so he had a bad experience with a builder and mm -hmm. didn't go out the way. So he finished out the projects, kind of worked through it. All right, let's find a new guy. Let's work out a yep. new arrangement. Let's do this 50-50 split. And uh, this whole idea of having your interests aligned when you're working and partnering with people is so spot on. I mean, I can yeah. certainly attest to it. For, for a young guy, I mean, just real nuggets of wisdom, being focused, you know, find your area of focus, you know, stay on it, create incentives for partners, right? Uh, yep. I mean, just, he had a lot of that just as a young guy that uh, is going to lead to a long-term success for him. And he's already experiencing success. Well, especially when you're out of state and you're working with people that you don't necessarily know, you've tried to vet them, but you're not there locally. When you align incentives with, with real estate agents and builders and bird dogs and whoever else, then everybody's working in the same direction. You don't have to worry about somebody sort of subverting what you're doing or, or, you know, freeloading and 
he's figured it out. He's figured out a really cool model from what I can yeah. tell. And, and he knows the markets he wants to focus on, right? He's found those. He's growing his business. Uh, a lot, uh, Just a lot of determination to make this work and seeing great success. I love it. I think you hit the nail on the head too, Grit. That's what we're, you know, we're learning, you know, as we bring on people and get them launched in their businesses, the people that just have grit and determination that put their head down, they just work and they, and they get at, get after it. Those are the ones that have success. Yeah. Well, and that. that's, you know, one of the things we tell folks as we look at, uh, you know, potential franchisees is we look for tenacity. Tenacity is one of the words that we use a lot of just people that are going to get up every day and chase after it and chase after it. And that's, you know, very closely aligned with grit. 100%. And that's the folks that we see who do the best in our system. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Well, this was a great conversation. Really enjoyed our time with Dan. Um, I don't know, Kevin, should we do it again next week? I think we do it next week. After you've gone camping, we can get an update, you know, on the bugs and the tunnels and the bridges. And yep. the, I want to find out what great yep. happens this week. No covered bridges, luckily, on the way there. Uh, and I will take to heart your life lesson about killing bugs over a bed. We won't do that. Don't do, well, don't leave the screen open. Don't let the bugs in in the first place. Yep. I think that's that's smart that's good advice and i'll try not to back uh the camper into the lake too those those yeah. three things are that's my goal this weekend so it's a big trip who's cooking this weekend um that's a good question i don't know i think we're a lot of grilling we do a lot of it's, grilling it's, when we go camping. Say it's guys weekend so i didn't know with guys weekend who get who takes over grill duty it's guys it's a guys friday night then the rest of the family comes up uh saturday sunday so uh and it is actually that's sort of where she shines she loves doing certain things when we go camping one of which is fajita night so we always do a fajita night very cool. Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. nice. So I'm, I'm thinking mid mid weekend we're gonna have some fetus. And then it's so just... wait, wait. The, the timing's just hit me right now. So you'll be up there for George's home opener, right? That's six o'clock Saturday night. So you're watching it from the campsite. Yeah. Yeah. We usually get especially because this is close, we get signal and we have a TV. Even though I just said we don't have screens, we hundred percent have a TV in the camper. So how do you would you just stream it from your phone? Now I'm really tether. Yeah, I mean, just tether that sucker. You just tether, tether that sucker. Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, we will be huddled around the TV to uh, Saturday night watching George's home opener, 100%. Very nice. Yeah, I'll be outside somewhere broadcasting it as well. I'm really nervous about it. I mean, this could be a close one. UT Martin. UT Martin, Georgia. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a barn burner, man. UT Martin. I don't even know what their their mascot is. It's a bird of some sort. <laughs> is it is really? It, is, it a, is, it a, is it a house martin? I don't know what it is. It, it know. has a little bird on it. So It's basically a scrimmage. Maybe it's a big mean bird. I don't know. It's fun because you get to see like who who are the players that stand out. How's our new quarterback going to do? I don't know how this podcast just evolved into UGA, but we probably could go another 30, 40 minutes just talking Georgia football. Easily, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll report next uh, back next Wednesday. We'll talk a little bit about how Georgia did. That's right. We should prepare everybody for the rest of the the next ten weeks. It's gonna we're gonna have some Georgia segments in the podcast. Mostly gonna be about football from here on out. Maybe a little realistic, a little little bit. Throw a little real estate in there. Mostly football. All right, dude. Same time, same place. Talk to you then. Sounds good. Have a great trip. Hey, man. Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Home Buyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.
Hey friends, just a final thought before you check out. You know, so many of us are going 100 miles an hour through life. We're weighed down by stress or worry or even that haunting feeling of emptiness. But it doesn't have to be that way. I've actually put together a quick resource at faithcrossroad.com where I share just a little bit about the faith that gives me hope and purpose and identity, and I'd love to share it with you. Again, faithcrossroad.com.